His all-time stats for his career don't really tell the full picture for his whole career. He only averages like 16 points a game. And it kind of does him a disservice because it doesn't really tell you how good he was in his prime. Welcome back to Getting Buckets. I'm Ethan. I'm David. And today, Vince Carter episode in tribute of Vince Carter, who announced his retirement a couple of days ago. Uh, we just thought it would be important to uh, give the deep dive into Vince Carter's career. And so we'll just get right into it. Ethan, what's your when you hear the name Vince Carter, what do you immediately think about? Obviously, his years with the Nets. But uh, to me, unfortunately, when I think of Vince Carter, I think of unfilled potential. Vince Carter was seen as a guy coming out of college who was going to be the next great shooting guard, you know, compared to Kobe and Michael Jordan. And unfortunately, he never really reached that hype. He kind of fell a little bit short. And to me, he's going to be seen on that, you know, T-Mac Hall of Famer kind of level. Not the all-time Pantheon greats, but a little under that level. Right. I think we'll just go right into it. So you mentioned the analogy to Michael Jordan. So Vince Carter, he attended the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill just like Michael Jordan. And uh, a fun fact is that now that he's retired, no players in the NBA have been coached by the late, great Dean Smith, coach of the Tar Heels. So he is the last player in NBA history to have been coached by Dean Smith, unless some vet comes out of nowhere, some 45-year-old. Other than that, it's going to be him. That's just uh, another tidbit that I found interesting. Also, I saw about Dean Smith. He left in his will. Um, he left 200 bucks to every former player that he had so they could enjoy a dinner on, out on him. Right, NCAA is currently trying to find a way to uh, revive Dean Smith so they can sue him. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, right, so I just have the stats up here. He finished the 97-98 season with 15.6 points per game average, and he was named a second-team All-American. And then he declared for the 1998 NBA draft like his friend and teammate Antoine Jameson. So in the 98 draft, he actually got drafted by the Warriors and then got traded on draft night um, for his buddy Antoine Jameson that we played with in college to the Raptors. So it was like a straight-up trade, him for Antoine Jameson. Who is his teammate. And Antoine Jameson also went on to have a long career. Not as long as Vince Carter's, obviously. Not as, not as good either, but... So due to the NBA lockout, his rookie season did not start until 1999, January. He, that's where he got the nickname Air Canada. Uh, he won the Rookie of the Year award after averaging 18 points per game. That's when he started to put Toronto on the map because they were basically a new expansion team. They hadn't really had the star power. Vince Carter became their first legitimate star. That was shown in his second season where he averaged almost 26 points per game. He got his first All-Star appearance and on the 2000 NBA All-Star weekend. Let's talk a little bit about that dunk contest. Greatest dunk contest ever? I, I would say so, but you could throw up a lot of the ones with Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon too, but that was definitely one of the greatest. I would say that that... Dunk contest, I think, was the first dunk contest maybe since Jordan Dominique, where people just saw such an array of brand new things and nobody had even thought of doing. And, you know, Vince Carter, he really turned the dunk into an art form. The honey dip. Right? Legendary dunk. Of course. And uh, they called him Air Canada for a reason, you know, after the airline. Vince Carter's cousin, Tracy McGrady, was drafted first overall in 97 and was a star in his own right. But it was really with Vince and T-Mac combined that they were like a one-two punch. VC was, was better than T-Mac at that point in their careers. T-Mac didn't really blossom until he went to uh, Orlando. Right. And so he was dealt with the Magic in August 2000. Now, 
the year 2000 was a significant year for Vince Carter and for America because that was the year of the Olympics being played in Sydney. And Vince Carter, to give you a sense of how big of a star he was, it was just his second season and he was already selected to the All-Star team with guys like KG, Gary Payton. And uh, it was during the game against France that you could argue Vince Carter's signature moment occurred where he dunked over Frederick Weiss, who is a seven foot one center playing for France. Now, France had a very good team. They actually finished second in the Olympics. But that dunk, I encourage you all to Google it uh, if you haven't seen it. It's absolutely disgusting. Uh, it basically, you think you want to talk about that a little bit? The dunk? I mean, Frederick Weiss got his NBA career destroyed before he even stepped on the NBA court. So basically what had happened was Gary Payton had a bad dribble. He kind of fobbled the layup. France had a pretty bad fast break. Off a bad pass, Vince Carter got the steal, and by his own account, he just was looking for the rim, and he didn't even notice that he had jumped over Frederick Weiss. But Frederick Weiss was kind of caught in no man's land, and he just literally got jumped over, seven-footer, to give you a sense of Vince Carter's athleticism at the time. Just completely passed him, and then there's iconic, you know, he kind of punches, almost hits KG, and USA went on to win that game. But the energy in the stadium was just kind of sucked out for a second because it was all siphoned into Vince Carter. Basically, after that, T-Mac gets traded. VC is alone in Toronto. He's a newfound star. What went wrong for the Raptors? Uh, you know, they kept on getting to the playoffs and uh, kept on getting bounced early. They never really uh, reached their their potential. They never made it to the finals. He made the All-Star game every year, but he was always getting bested in the playoffs. Actually, one interesting thing is during the 2003 NBA All-Star game, he gave his spot to Michael Jordan. It's significant because, like we said before, Vince Carter was kind of seen as the heir to Michael Jordan, but it just wasn't working for him. And so during the 2004 offseason, there was some dissatisfaction between Carter and Toronto Raptors, and it was just clear that something was going to go wrong. And to start the season, Vince Carter was playing very poorly. He was averaging about 15 points per game. He clearly wasn't invested in the team. They had a pretty mediocre record. And 20 games later, Vince Carter bounces and gets traded to the New Jersey Nets. He got traded to New Jersey, which had Jason Kidd. And they were kind of expected to be a really, really powerful point guard, shooting guard combo that would power the Nets back to the finals, where they had made it for two straight years and then lost to the Pistons. And... This was basically a sign that they were going to come back. So again, what went wrong in New Jersey? He put up points. He returned back to his old form. He was, you know, averaging 20-plus points every year that he was there, but they just never made it to the finals. They kept on having poor playoff performances, and it never really got to that ultimate uh, place where Vince Carter was seen, was thought to be going, but... They just never achieved it. He fell a little bit short. And before we talk about Vince Carter's Nets career, because I do think it's very interesting, I also want to ask you, do you think that Vince Carter deserved all the hate he got from Toronto fans? Because, well, you could certainly say he did quit on them because he was averaging 15 a game, and he gets traded to the Nets the remainder of the year. He averaged 27, uh, which was the most he's ever averaged in a season. So... 
there is some validity in Raptors fans being salty that he left because he clearly did quit on them. But at the same time, he felt that they didn't really have enough around him to win. You could kind of look at it two ways. Um, I don't really know. What's your view on it? I feel like as Jets fans, we haven't really talked about football too much, but we're kind of seeing the same thing with Jamal Adams right now, where he just feels like for whatever reason, he's not being respected by the team and the team's not doing enough for him. And Jamal Adams is one of the best players in the NFL. So, you know, he just feels like it's time to move on. It's time. It's, he's doing what's best for his career. Now, you could argue that maybe this wasn't the best decision for Vince's career. He didn't really do anything with the Nets. And then he kind of, once he went to Orlando, which we'll talk about later in this episode, he kind of went from star player to kind of a 3 and D role player kind of guy once he started to lose his bounce. So from his career perspective, I totally understand. The thing about the Toronto Raptors ownership at that time was that they basically did not get good as a team until December 2011 when their owners sold the team. And you could see basically from 2012 until now, Toronto has had their meteoric rise and it's basically just because the ownership changed. So I don't even think Vince Carter was in the wrong. I just think he was doing what was best for his career and obviously his time with J-Kid, sick to watch as fans of the Nets. So we'll talk about that a little bit. What do you think about when you think of number 15 in the Nets uniform? Do you think that they should retire his, because in Toronto they're going to retire his number for sure. Do you think that the Nets should be retiring his number two? No. Why not? He didn't do enough. He didn't really have playoff success. He was an all-star, yeah. He, you know, put up a lot of points, had a lot of vintage moments on the Nets too. But, you know, Jason Kidd's jersey is up there for a reason. He got us to the finals twice. Vince Carter, unfortunately, never did that. And for me, for a player's jersey to be retired, you have to at least get to the finals. And, you know, Jay Kidd is seen as a top five top 10 point guard of all time and Vince Carter unfortunately I don't think is considered a top 10 shooting guard of all time I mean obviously you don't have to be a top 10 shooting guard of all time to be get your jersey retired but Jay Kidd is an all-time pantheon great point guard and Vince Carter is just not I think to add to that we can kind of see that they won't because a couple of players have been given the number 15 most recently Isaiah Whitehead was given the number 15 usually when that happens it means that's why there is a lot of uh, controversy among Nets fans when Kyrie got the number 11, which was Brooke Lopez's number for his entire career. Brooke with the Lopez Nets. does not deserve to get his, jersey, his number retired either, in my opinion. Maybe, but that's kind of what I'm saying. If you haven't silently retired it, then you're never going to, in a way. I kind of have a different view of Vince Carter's career in New Jersey. I think that the Nets really struggled to build a good team around Kidd and Carter. That's why Kidd also quit on the team. They never had the bigs, and they never had the depth that they needed to really compete. You know, Richard Jefferson was on the team. Kid Carter, Richard Jefferson, you know, kind of a three-headed monster. But they never really had the guys or the personnel to make a splash. And uh, they were just beaten by better teams, such as, you know, at first was Miami Heat, the Pistons. They were also demolished by LeBron eventually. On June 25, 2009, Vince Carter gets traded with Ryan Anderson to the Magic. And this was basically, you know, Jason Kidd had been traded a little over a season before, and now with Carter gone, is basically rebuild mode for the Nets. Uh, meanwhile, he went to the Orlando Magic, who went to the finals that year he was traded to them. He was a perimeter scorer, and he was added to our Orlando Magic team that had Dwight Howard. He was expected to be this 3 and D shooter. Now, Vince Carter had already kind of lost a step. He wasn't as athletic. He was 33 years old which is, I think, a testament to his kind of career that he had another 10 seasons in the NBA. 
but he was trying to be a new piece to the Magic who had just went to the finals and lost to the Lakers. But obviously that didn't work out. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals and they were handily defeated by the Celtics. He played one season there. He played one season with the Suns. He played three seasons for the Mavericks. He just joined them after they won a chip against the Miami Heat. So he was expected to bolster that team and he was reunited with Jason Kidd. By the time he had joined the Mavericks, he had completely transitioned from a you know high volume inside scorer into this 3 and D type of guy. And he's notorious for hitting a lot of clutch threes for the Mavericks, even though they didn't go back to the finals. That was kind of his Mavericks career. He went to the Grizzlies for three years. And by then, he had went from 3 and D scorer to, you know, reliable veteran. Give some scoring off the bench. Even in Memphis, he was still a really useful uh, role player for right. him. He had a lot of good moments there, too. He joined the Memphis Grizzlies basically when the whole grit and grind era was coming to a close. In 2015-2016, he won the Teammate of the Year Award, which is just based on selfless play, on and off the court leadership. So he was still finding ways to contribute, even though his athleticism was gone. And that was the hallmark of Vince Carter's career, is that athleticism, that dunking that everybody knows him for and what's going to send him to the Hall of Fame. He's already had a Hall of Fame career, but if for nothing else, uh, the fact that he was just such a high-flying, notorious dunker who really made dunking an art form uh, and is something that made him super famous... I think that uh, that's what's going to be his ticket to the Hall of Fame. And then after the Grizzlies, he was with the Kings for a season, and then he played with the Hawks for two seasons. And that's Vince Carter's career in short. You mentioned that he was unfulfilled potential, I think is what you said. Talk a little bit more about that. What, what about Vince Carter's career was unfulfilled? Well, obviously he was a great player, one of the best players in the NBA in his prime. He, after that, he really... He didn't really win any championships, and he kind of just devolved into a a really important role player who hit uh, some threes. And, you know, his all-time stats for his career don't really tell the full picture for his whole career. Only averages like 16 points a game. And it kind of does him a disservice because it doesn't really tell you how good he was in his prime. I just think his career on the whole was just underwhelming. And it's a little bit unfortunate, but it was. Do you think it was maybe unfair... You know, when he came to the NBA, Michael Jordan was getting his last ring. Do you think it was maybe, you know, I think Michael Jordan had just retired, and now they see this high-flying shooting guard from UNC, and they're already dubbing him the next MJ. Do you think maybe that was unfair expectations for a guy who still had a heck of a career? It may have been, but, you know, his second year in the league, he was putting up 25 a game. So, obviously, you're going to have a lot of expectations. Third season, he put up 27. Like you're going to have a lot of expectations for doing that so early in your career. And unfortunately, he didn't live up to them. How will you view his legacy? Well, I think you can first look at his legacy in that without him, I don't know if Toronto basketball exists. Because they tried this experiment in Vancouver, and Vancouver just didn't work. They weren't able to get the traction. Canada basketball wasn't a thing. Yes, they had Tracy McGrady. Yes, Tracy McGrady was very good on the Raptors. But it was really Vince Carter who came into his own in his time in Toronto and really put them on the map as a, you know, basketball town. You know, without Vince Carter, you don't have that. And then you don't have a Toronto team. And then who knows? The entire NBA could have looked different because the ownership was not great in Toronto. It was one of these expansion ownerships. They didn't really, they clearly didn't have the players' best interests in mind. They weren't able to satisfy their star, which, you know, the game 15 years ago is not the same like it is today where guys are always moving around. You know, like it was very common for a team to have their their go-to guy that they felt wasn't going to stay there forever. 
Vince Carter, you know, giving up on the Raptors like a lot of people see it was like one of the big sports betrayals of the 2000s. And he was reviled in Toronto for 15 years. It was only in his final appearance or one of his final appearances in Toronto when people weren't sure when he was going to retire that they made a tribute video for him. And finally, he got some cheers after like 15 years of hatred because that was just kind of the biggest disgrace. And it wasn't even the first time Chris Bosch did the same thing. I also think the fact that, you know, he never got help. I completely understand why he left. But I think that that's the most important thing that he did. He really made Canada a basketball place. And, you know, now they have a ring. They have, uh, you know, they have a structure that they can ride for years. Nick Nurse is a great coach. That's all on the back of Vince Carter, even though he did quit on the team. So, you know, he's almost like Moses. He, 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 he never got to bring Toronto to the Holy Land or even close. But without him, they might have just been moved like Vancouver. One minute of a Vince Carter highlight reel is more explosive than some players have in their whole careers. He, his athleticism was really insane. Like you said, I don't think the numbers really do justice to the kind of players he was. He's not somebody that you can just kind of look at the numbers on basketball reference and say, oh yeah, that was you know this career that he was an average player because he averaged 16. Like He really was a phenomenal player. And the fact that he lost his athleticism once he was like 32, 33, he was able to transition his career and make even more money, you know, as the salary cap continued to explode. He really was able to maximize his value, contribute to teams. Even in Atlanta, he's been a role model for Trey Young. And that's going to pay off to have that kind of experience. Because, you know, when you're a young guy like Trey Young, you're already making such a big splash. To have a vet like Vince Carter, who's kind of done it all at this point, you know, played in the finals many time all-star one in the olympics you know iconic moments he's really vince carter has done it all maybe he didn't become the michael jordan that people saw him as but he still had a heck of a career i think he's easily first battle hall of famer and i can't wait to see him in springfield yeah so you're alluding to it now i was gonna ask you if you think he's a hall of famer and yeah i agree 19th overall in all-time points scored with a little bit over twenty-five thousand. um and he's the only player in nba history to have over a thousand dunks and over two thousand threes, right? And or, I think that's a testament because he wasn't really as much of a three-point shooter in his early career. He really figured out how to shift his career in a way that many other players from his time weren't able to. They fizzled out before him because they weren't able to transition and they weren't able to adapt, even in their older age, to the increasing pace of the NBA, which kind of exploded from the last 10 years and Vince Carter has been able to hang around maybe he's not okay he's obviously he's old but he still found a way to contribute to a completely different NBA than existed when he joined in 1998 obviously he's a hall of famer I want to say legend but he's a hall of famer I would say he's a legend I think he's easily I think he's he's a he's if for nothing else he's a legend but there's levels to it obviously he's not the top tier legend but yes he, he is a legend the dunks that he did in the year 2000 alone, make him a legend. You have the 2000 All-Star game where I think he puts on the best. You know, even guys like Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, you know, they're again, they're standing on his back because he brought so much to that dunk contest. I mean, even Donovan Mitchell, when he won, he literally copied a Vince Carter dunk. Literally copied a Vince Carter dunk. So, you know, that's telling you 20 years later to win a dunk contest, you're still copying Vince Carter. And Vince did it better. <laughs> Vince Carter provided so many great moments, so many memorable moments. Yes, he never got a ring. You know, he struggled in the playoffs, whatever. You know, I think like you said, there are levels. And I think that 
He doesn't have to be this Michael Jordan level of God to be acknowledged as a legend and a very important player in the NBA. So salute to Vince Carter. Congrats. Thank you for all the years, of course. Congrats on a great career. Uh, we are going to miss you, and we hope to see you achieve a lot more after your life in basketball because you've been always been able to adapt. And so salute to Vince Carter. And I think on that note, you know, I think I've uh, I've tried to tell this story about Vince Carter, but let's talk a bit about what's uh, what's going on in the NBA. Yeah, so obviously we're going up into the season, revving up into the season, and the NBA actually purchased two thousand of these smart rings from this company called Ura. What are smart rings? So they are pretty much these rings that can like detect if you're coming down with something for like a, if you're sick or something like that. So. The intention is that these rings could actually Do they, uh, like, detect, detect symptoms. Yeah, they could detect if you're gonna have COVID or not. And they purchased two thousands of these, and I think they're like four hundred dollars each or something. So it's a lot of money. And you know, I've seen Kevin Love actually talk about how he actually already has a ring that he uses like that, but he's obviously not gonna be there. But I think he gave, he probably told them about the rings and stuff. So it they got permission from the NBA Players Association to wear these rings, and the players are going to wear it when they're not off the court. When they're in the bubble, I assume, when they're the bubble, hanging out when with they're, friends. Yeah, if they're hanging out. So what do you think about that news? I think it's definitely an interesting experiment. I think it's cool that people are kind of using these younger, healthier guys as an experiment for all these different ways to test COVID. I mean, it's just another way that the NBA is going to be at the front of the lines innovating. I think it's really cool. I don't really trust those rings so much. I mean, testing has been so terrible as it is, but, you know, if it can detect a fever early before a guy even feels it, if it can detect another symptom before, because, you know, sometimes you have a fever and you don't even know for, like, a couple of days. So if it can detect those symptoms and just maximize people's health, I think it's a net positive for everybody. And, you know, on that note of COVID, I think there's also been some COVID news. 16 out of the 302 players have tested positive for coronavirus. Um, Do you think it's a big deal or no? Well, I was actually going to ask you the same thing. I personally, I don't think it's a big deal. I think better that they get sick now. I think we mentioned a couple of the guys in the last episode who got sick. I imagine the others are anonymous. They'll probably open up about it when they feel like it. I mean, it's their right to not open up about it. But since we taped that episode, you know, two weeks ago about how the situation is getting worse, it basically went from bad to much worse to like apocalyptic. I really don't even know how it can get worse. So. You know, I understand more and more why people are concerned about going, but it seems like the NBA, they're really trying their best to find ways to be proactive about the virus instead of, you know, waiting for it to wreak havoc. Yeah, I think with all the precautions that Adam Silver laid out in the memo and all that stuff, I really think that they created the best possible scenario for these players to keep them out of harm's way. I really think they're really looking out for the players here. And it still may not be enough. That's the scariest part. Unfortunately not. It's, you know, something created by humans is never going to be perfect, but I think it's the best that they could do. Of course, I think there could be a little bit of tweaking with the personnel leaving in and out of the facility. But, you know, it is what it is right now. I think it's as best as they could do for right now. Yep. And, you know, so the NBA, they came out with these newly released schedules for all these new uh, teams that are going to be in Orlando. And I want to ask you, which one of the teams who are going to be playing do you think is under the most pressure? Well, it's a good question. I think, first of all, I think all the teams who are 
like the Lakers, the Bucks, the Clippers, I think they're under a lot of pressure to just come out off the gates firing. I would really like to see a team go 8-0 and and just set the tone that they're not messing around, that they've been preparing to fight because those eight games is more like a preseason because, I mean, for some teams, it's, you know, the difference between a play-in or, you know, just going straight into the playoffs. I mean, in the West, there is literally a playoff hunt. And I know De'Aaron Fox recently tweeted that he thinks the Kings have a chance. That's just laughable to me. Lol. But, you know, everybody's going to be fighting for a spot. So I think it's important for a team like the Kings, if they really want to make the, if they really think they can make the playoffs, I think Come it's... Come on, we know that's not going to happen. Right, but, you know, if they want to make it, they got to go 8-0. I think it's also important for a team like the Lakers to go 8-0 too, or to try their best to do that. I, I don't think that they should be resting. I think they really need to set the tone, get the momentum now. I think the team under the most pressure, though, is the Memphis Grizzlies because they have a brutal schedule, in my opinion, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. But I think that it's really important for them to kind of fend off, you know, the guys who are crawling on their heels. And I think it's important for them to really make a mark, go into the playoffs, use their youth as an advantage. So I think that of all the teams, I think the Memphis Grizzlies definitely have the most to lose. And I think that's really true for any of the teams that are kind of floating around in you know, bottom contention, Western Conference teams? For me, it has to be the Philadelphia 76ers. If this team does not perform, you know, probably even either make the Eastern Conference Finals or even the Finals, Brett Brown is going to get fired, and I think there's a risk that they, they blow it up. And, yeah, tr- because and B-trade is very possible. Very possible. This team really underperformed this year. There's a lot of expectations that are going to be the best team in the Eastern Conference. They're the sixth seed. Um, they're going to definitely make the playoffs, but to me, the team is not performing well. They don't have a lot of shooters. They actually just signed somebody in the transaction window from Dallas who's a really good shooter, so try to help the perimeter shooting because it's very lacking on their team. But um, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to the, at this point in their career do not really mesh. They all, They both look better when they're not playing on the court together at the same time. So to me, if the Sixers do not perform well, they're going to get blown up. Do you think that any team is going to be able to go 8-0? I, I agree with you, by the way. I think that the Philadelphia 76ers cannot mess around. They need to set the tone early. I really think that these eight games that everybody's playing is just all about momentum. Some of the matchups are more than momentum. It's like playoff seating, like Nets magic. Watch out for that. You know, we're saying this is Nets fans, but, you know, that's going to be crucial for basically deciding whether the Nets or magic end up having to be in a play-in with the Wizards because that's the most likely scenario. So... Whoever comes out on top of those two games is basically going to be the seventh seed, in my opinion. But for the most part, these games are just all about momentum. It's all about, you know, who can start strong going into their playoff rounds. But my question to you is, do you think that any team can go 8-0 and just set the tone? No. There's too much time off. I think every team's going to be a little bit rusty. Um, I don't think any team could go 8-0. No. No. Um, I also want to say that another team that I think does have quite a amount of pressure on them is, I think, the Clippers. They really don't have a big window. Uh, they have like a three-year window. Less, I would argue. Less. So they do have to win now. And in, even, I would say, the Lakers too, a little bit. I mean, we don't really know how much longer LeBron is going to be able to perform on this level for. But I'm not really as worried for them because I do have Anthony Davis still, who's really young. And he is going to be an unrestricted free agent after this uh, after this year. But he's expected to re-sign. I think he'd be a fool if he didn't re-sign. Um, so I think the Lakers have a little bit of pressure too, for sure. I honestly, I think it's a good question, but I think the fact remains that every team, because it's not all 30 teams, 
I think naturally every team is going to feel like they need to gain momentum. I also think it's very easy to imagine a situation where a team like the Suns or the Kings have a bad start and then they just give up because they have no chance. And, uh, you know, we'll actually think that if they miss the playoffs, if they fall out of contention, it's just their season is over. Who? Like if the Suns, let's say, miss the playoffs, isn't their season over? Yeah. So, you know, obviously those guys are going to be fighting early on. Uh, you know, we've kind of ridiculed the fact that the teams like that are even in the playoffs or in the playoff hunt, but you know, math is math. And, you know, I just think that the more information we get, I think it's going to be a very interesting NBA season. And I guess we just have to wait and see. It's coming closer and closer. At this point, it's, I think, two weeks. To what? Uh, two weeks until NBA starts. No, it's July 30th. Well, I mean, isn't it two weeks until they arrive? Yeah, they're going to they're have training camp. Right, so, you know, two weeks until training camp, uh, and then, you know, Lord knows there'll be a ton of more storylines. Definitely going to be an interesting conclusion for sure. So, yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to the Getting Buckets podcast. Follow us on Twitter at GetBucketPod. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us on Spotify. And we'll see you next week. Peace.